and welcome back to another episode of JP and the Beanstalk. You bet. And there is a phenomenal energy in the gym. We're in it. You're sleeveless. So I am. Free tickets to the gun show for me and everybody that's watching. What an absolute yes. delight. And for those listening. Can you hear it? They're big. Um, yes. Arms for radio. I'm, Wait, no. That's, that's backwards. That's not what I want. No. It's not what I was no. trying to convey. Compare me to a male model. There you go. Yes. Yes, that. Arms of a mannequin? That's actually, I mean, that's, that'd be kind of, mannequins are cut. Yeah, but they don't move. Like, I don't know. That's, that's I'm, not saying you're sti- I'm not saying you're stiff. I'm, I'm saying from a definition perspective, it needs work. All right. The labeling needs work. I'm sorry. Bad friend. I'll, I'll work on it. It's okay. I'll work on it's it. It's hot enough to be wearing a sleeveless shirt. So it is. You can just enjoy that. How great is that? What a great problem to have. And by, by the way, let's get this out of the way now. Okay. By the time this episode gets out, our yes. buddy soul will have been married. And I feel oh, like we should give him a special right. congratulations you bet. on on the marriage. Yep. I'm assuming at this point it all went well, and if it didn't, Let's we'll, it did. we'll take Let's we'll assume, take it out. Let's assume it did. That's the beauty of editing. Right? Either way, we'll have a fun night. Okay, I promise. Saul, we're so excited to celebrate with you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity this to is celebrate true. with you. High what high honor, sir. What a delight. High honor. What a delight. Um, I'm also going to throw this out there because. Uh, my wife, right? Friend of the pod uh, in name only because she never listens to the pod. But right. Nonetheless, you know, we, we have we have uh, a mutual, mutual friend uh, who tends to go to bed early. All right. That's going to be at this wedding. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> the over under. And so I'm really just throwing this out there. Oh, for you your guys betting? Yes. Oh, can I get some of this action? Yes. I is it on eight? If it's later than eight o'clock, I will be astounded. I will be astounded. Okay. Yeah. So so you bet under, she bet over? I don't think either of us have officially placed our bets. I would I'm gonna go under. Okay. Definitely under. It probably needs to be more precise than that, or it will need to be, but that's where I'm at. Definitely like under say, eight. I didn't know if it was gonna be like betting an over under at a specific time, or yes. each person was just gonna guess a time. Yes. And Price of right rules it. Mm-hmm. It probably needs to be that. I think it'll be a game time decision. Like internally, when we're in the reception hall, we'll have to. Just, so I, I'd like time to marinate on this, right? I think we all need some time to. I just want a piece of that action. You're in. Oh, you're in. Yeah, you're in. And if you're the spouse of this friend that's listening, that is a genuine friend of the pod, just know that we cherish both of you. It's all it's love. A, it is. It it's is all love. love. <laughs> and also, strangely, respect the dedication to go to bed at such a consistent time. Bro, I can't blame you though. No, I can't blame you. I, no. I'm tired, but I right. my body is doesn't shut down till like twelve thirty. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then do, refuses to get up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So anyway, Saul, we're stoked for you. Jocelyn, we're excited for you because you're marrying Saul. Good on you. That's great. I've never met your home dog, but you seem like a cool lady. You got to be. You got to be. If you're with Saul, you got to be. You got to be. So we're excited for that. Good call out on your point or on your part. That's outstanding. Yes, I thought we needed to yep. get that out of the way. Yep. There's no doubt. Hopefully he'll be listening to this on the plane to his honeymoon. There. Yes. This is really, you know what? Okay. We, I will give a genuine wedding gift. I will. But consider this the real gift. 
right here. This oh, episode. We're about to drop fight. bars. <laughs> we're going to go all out, pull out all the stops. I love that. I love that. What what would be your uh well, let's keep it let's keep it wedding theme. Oh right? boy. Let's keep Come it on. wedding theme. For hate. All right. All right. Um Selena Gomez. Sure. Yes. <laughs> is, noted. That the, that, is that the question? It's not the question. Oh, it's okay. not the question. Let's go. Did I answer that too fast? No. Okay. No, no, no. We're going to, this is going to be really good. Okay. So we got wedding theme. We also obviously on this pod are going to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because it just came out this week. We saw it. We're blown away by it. So can't wait to discuss that topic. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of that topic, which member of the Guardians would you crash a wedding with? Oh, crash a wedding with? Crash a wedding with. Yep. So, which which member of the Guardian are you going to crash a wedding with? Which member of the Guardians are you taking with you as a date to a wedding? Okay. So, two-part question. I wonder if I can come up with a third part here on the fly. Okay. Well, we only have, what, two options for a date for... Aren't there only two? Oh, no, there's three no, options. No, there's, there's, there's more. There's more. There's three options. And, and frankly, like, it can be a platonic mandate, right? It could be. Or if it's a plus one, no one says you have to bring a romantic date. I know, but that's no fun. For me, anyways. Okay. Okay. So crash. Crash, take on a date. And oh. Okay. Who out of the gardens would you want to give your best man speech? Okay. There you go. I feel really good about that. Three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Crashing the wedding date. There's there's two options here. Yep. And I will give you the one that I know you're going to say. And I will defer to the other one. And I'm going to say Rocket Raccoon. Good for you. Because that dude is going to be hopefully stealing prosthetics for me. And then we just watch people dance on one limb because that would be hilarious. And he is a willing and gifted uh, liar. And so he will have no qualms about hyping you up, right? Whatever your story is, right? Whatever your alibi, your alias, he's in. True. He's an outstanding partner in crime. And also, at some point, we'll get full control over the music. Mm-hmm. hmm Your so, pick is a great one. I hadn't even considered Rocket. Rocket would be fantastic. It's a great pick. He might as Drax. Yep. Yeah. I'm crashing with Drax. It's going to go badly. It's not going to go well. They're actually going to blow our cover. And it's either, well, here's the thing. It's either going to go very badly because he is going to blow our cover. That part is almost definitely happening. The question will be, is his thick-headedness charming enough in the sense that, you know, empathy is given to us and we're such a delightful pair that we're allowed to stay and partake in the festivities? Or... Are they just disgusted with uh, our brazen intrusion on their special day? It's been like, the door is that way. It's entirely possible, but I'm excited for whichever way it goes. Tables will break. That's the thing. If they try and kick us out, Drax fights. Now we have tables flipping. It's memorable one way or the other. And if Drax doesn't get, if we don't get kicked out, tables are still getting flipped because that's how Drax is going to party. So it's it's just great. Okay. Yep, good choice. Um wedding date? That's a tough one. 
the tough one because all of the women are crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's just true in all facts of life, but. So you're never going to have a wedding I, date. I just Would love you? digging myself in a hole. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, your hole is down. your hole is dug. Calm down. While you stay in your hole, I'm going with Mantis because she would be a delight. She'd be a hoot. She'd be a hoot. She'd yeah. be by far the most the most fun to spend She'd time with. She'd be the most civil. I would probably pick the Mora. Okay, but which is an admirable choice. Yeah. Yep. I. I. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Let's just move on. Okay. Best man speech. Who you got? Probably Peter. Probably Peter Quill. Okay. I think okay. it'd be hard not to. The dude's come up with speeches before. We've seen it. So you know it's going to be good. Yep. Yep. It's a fine answer. It's the wrong answer, but it's a fine answer. Uh, the right answer is Groot. I was going to say that because as a joke. It's the short. That's what you want. You don't need somebody to, you don't want somebody diatribing while everybody else is going, I'd really like to just eat some more and get back to the good stuff. Yeah, but what if he says, I am Groot like 25 times? Possible. Possible because he gets emotional. Up there. Yeah, I, I don't think he would. I think he, he is a three of few words, and I'm counting on it being three. I am Groot at most. So that's my choice. I am Groot. Yeah, no, that's solid choice. You get your Peter. Solid choice. Yes. Great. Well, that's a lot of fun. Saul, Jocelyn, early congratulations or late, I guess, since you'll be listening to this a few days after. Perfectly timed. Gift. If you ask me. The gift is still there. So, well, let's get into it. We're here to talk Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume three. We're going to talk about that for a good long while because there is just an absolute piece for us to digest in this film. So let's get into it real quick by by way of brief recap. Okay, and of course, per usual, spoilers, spoilers always, spoilers ahead all the time, all the time. Okay. Be warned, yeah. So we pick up. On nowhere, the giant head of a severed god that the guardians have turned into their uh, home base, right? And we get introduced in short order to Adam Warlock, who comes down, wreaks holy havoc, badly wounds our guy Rocket, and we come to find out that as the rest of the guardians are trying to take care of Rocket, uh, Rocket has a freaking attached to his heart that if he is operated on medically uh, in the depth necessary to save his life, his heart's going to explode. I'm serious. So the gardens go on a quest to save our guy rocket. They encounter the high evolutionary who, as it turns out is the, is there any other phrase for him other than mad scientist? That's what he is. He's a mad scientist, right? Responsible for rockets creation. And in so doing, we uncover, as the movie unfolds, Rocket's backstory. And we find out that Rocket was created by the High Evolutionary in an ongoing effort by the High Evolutionary to create the perfect, flawless society. It's like if Charles Darwin got his hands on meth and then just decided to operate on every animal. Yeah, not pretty. Not pretty. Rocket's backstory includes the friends that he makes. Uh, that are also in captivity, also being experimented on by the High Evolutionary. Uh, we find out that Rocket's friends were killed by the High Evolutionary. Rocket badly maimed, 
high evolutionary. So as we predicted, there was going to be a, there's going to be some face action. It wasn't a set. Right? It was not the face off that I expected because yeah. the face off that I expected is just going to be a robot face yeah. and not. Uh, yeah. It, it got, it got more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll come back to that. So the guardians do ultimately succeed at, rescuing at finding the information they need so that they can rescue uh or not rescue but rather give rocket the medical attention he needs they take down the high evolutionary stopping him from finally the vicious cycle of creation and destruction that he has been on and surprisingly enough all the guardians are alive at the end of the movie uh with the addition of Adam Warlock into their ranks, who over the course of the film has come into the fold. So that sounds like your foot just smoked a desk. My foot did, but it's okay. okay. You have two of them. The the one you lost yes. just now, it'll it'll be fine. Surprisingly, you didn't hit it that hard. Yeah. So I'm painting in really broad strokes here because I know we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. Um, but broadly speaking, Riley, and then what I'd like to do is kind of go character by character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Broadly speaking. How did you feel about this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? It is the MCU movie we've been waiting for since No Way Home, mm-hmm. where No Way Home yep. was the perfect mix of humor and emotional weight. Mm-hmm. And it, there was that one turning point in the movie in No Way Home where it was just all emotions right. and the humor kind of came back, but not to that level. Yep. This was the same way, and none of it was forced. Mm-hmm. It was beautifully paced. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Well, not weird. Let me go back. Let me backtrack on that. Are you good? But yes, it's just the tone for it was so well done. Yeah. Emotional weight, all of it yeah. executed perfectly, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think back as to where my expectations were for this movie going in um because i haven't i think i've done a pretty good job personally of insulating myself from whatever the outside noise is regarding a movie i just don't care anymore i just care more about do i enjoy it or do i not right do the people that i you know know like you and others uh that go to these movies that enjoy consuming this content did they enjoy it or not those are the opinions that i care about so i didn't have i don't think I, i had pretty modest expectations i thought it was going to be good I did not expect it to be an absolute banger of a movie. And you mentioned No Way Home, and that's a perfect point of reference because I remember coming out of No Way Home and agreeing with you that 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 is as good as it gets and has gotten in the MCU. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is on that same tier of that is as good as it gets. And I think there are tiers of MCU movies where it's, at that peak, there's a lot of good in the middle, and there's a few growing few of uh, fluffy bummers kind of at the bottom, right? This movie was it was tremendous, and you mentioned the tone. Absolutely agree. Uh, the balance that was struck between the humor that we have come to expect, and that is part of the Guardian brand, was still there. It wasn't sacrificed, but my goodness, it was partnered with a level of gravitas that few of these movies few of these just movies in general are able to achieve i was absolutely delighted by it this movie on the surface it has no business 
being that good. It's a movie about a raccoon that talks. And yet, it was tremendous. It is, uh, and part of what I'm looking forward to is watching it again and again because I think it is just a absolute masterpiece of storytelling. When you have these characters that are there, there's no inherent value in them. Like none of us before the first Guardians movie came out, knew Star Lord, Gamora, Groot, Rocket, any of those originals. Uh, projected to be the MCU's first flop. Right. And it has been the exact opposite of that. And that is such good storytelling, and it's such incredible character building that I just look forward to continuing. Like, I have not stopped thinking about the movie because I keep having, oh, yeah, new thoughts. Ooh, yeah, that's right. That's incredible. There is some real mastery at work there. So... Hats off. I thought it was an outstanding movie. Outstanding. Me too. Yeah. 12 out of 10 if that's possible. 12 out of 10. One of the aspects of the movie that surprised me in a pleasant way is that we were very wrong at which characters were going to so die. So wrong. I couldn't be more happy about, about that, by the way. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I really thought we were going to see some uh, some deaths. And to the movie's credit... Uh, was possible on multiple occasions for I think just about all of the characters in the Guardians group that we've come to, to know and adore. But instead, what we got was beautiful resolution for all these characters. So let's go search by character, discuss them not just as it pertains to the to volume three, but the Guardians as a whole. So we'll go straight from the top with our guy, your best man, Star Lord, Peter freaking Quill. What'd you think of Peter Quill in this movie, his his trajectory and where he ended up? Well, I mean, he really had his time to shine in the second one. Yep. Where he kind of solves his issues with his dad, who's a dick. But uh and then him in this third one, I thought it was kind of interesting to see how much his friendship with Rocket developed. Mm. I think that was the most surprising. Right. Because Right. In the second one, they are constantly oh my. at each other oh at each other's throats much so. in a more like fun competitive way. But they are always talking shit to one another. And yep. in this one, it's like they felt more like they were like brothers as in a sense. Yeah. And so to see that develop and then to for him to realize at the end of this movie that he has to go close the other door. That he's left open with his yep. grandpa. Yep. And go do that. Right. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I is I mean, he pretty much became like the pinnacle leader yep. and then stepped away from it all after he got it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think especially you juxtapose where he ended up with how selfish of an act it was. Not in the Guardians movies, of course, but in Avengers Infinity War, when he single-handedly ruined the acquiring of the Infinity Stones by the Avengers on Titan by flipping his lid, losing control, and knocking Thanos back into full consciousness. Like a very selfish move on his part. How selfless he was 
in this movie, and I think you make a great point, to step willingly, not have the leadership of the Guardians taken away from him, um, but to step away at his peak. Like, he had just, he had, by the time this movie was over, become a better and more selfless leader than at any point during the previous two Guardians movies or any of his actions or inactions in the Avengers movies that you saw the Guardians in. And so that, to me, is that much more noteworthy that he is willingly stepping out of that role of leadership because he had, as much as any time in his role as their leader, earned right, earned that role, earned the, the respect by his own personal sacrifice to, to the team. So that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to witness. I mean, he almost died for it. Yeah. He almost died for it. And then... Yep. I th- and then in this last movie, you know, with his arc with Gamora and like mm, finally letting her go. Right. Just, yeah, really leans into the selflessness. Yeah. Well, and it's good you bring up Gamora, too, because she's, you know, we'll just get right into it. She'll she'll be the next character we talk about. Something that I really appreciated about this movie, it would have been so easy for the Peter Quill and Gamora, you know, romance, that aspect of their relationship to take over the story. Right. And it was there. It wasn't, uh, it was not just forgotten about or ignored or they went, yeah, we don't really want to go that direction. So we're going to kind of kick it off to the side, but they, they gave it the appropriate percentage of significance, right? Where it's a factor for Peter, right? At the beginning of the movie, he's just getting himself blind drunk every night uh, because he's so distraught over the lack of Gamora in his life, but the movie doesn't uh, doesn't overdo that storyline. It allows the main focus to be on other characters and other aspects of the story. But it's a really effective piece that allows Peter to to transform in a really healthy way. I'm not as sure about if you're a fan of Gamora the character. I'm not as sure how someone I feel fairly neutral about Gamora, the character. Um, I don't know how you land or how you feel about this, right? Because I think she had a really, really enjoyable and intriguing arc all the way up to the time of her death in Infinity War. And so now that her character kind of gets this reset, um, I feel like she probably got shortchanged a little bit. I also don't know what on earth you know, James Gunn can do about that when a movie that he didn't make kills the character. Right. Right. And just resets it. Like says everything you just did doesn't actually count anymore. Like that, that's a real challenge. So. Yeah. Her, she really got her time to shine in infinity war. Agreed. Thanos was her arc. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. eating her dad, helping kill her dad. That was what, and then ended up dying because of yep. her dad. But like, that was her Ed Nebulous thing. Was their dad was an asshole yeah. and they wanted to kill him or they wanted to get back at him in a certain way. So for this, right. you know, bringing her back, I think and the reset somewhat helps because it just develops that interesting part of the story. Yep. Because there's this little bit of conflict. Yep. Will they, won't they? And, yep. you know, they kind of develop the whole, I'll be still there. <laughs> Right, right at the end. Right at the end. Right. When oh, he stops. When he stops trying. What a tease. Of course. Of course. Right. So it's, it was old as time. Right. So for her, and suddenly becomes more interesting. 
it it was interesting to see her as the I don't want to be here character, yeah. but mm-hmm. I guess I'll be here. And then like she enjoyed herself. She won't admit it, but she did enjoy totally herself. True. Totally true. So just didn't want to admit. Yeah, it. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I am glad. Uh, I'm glad the character of Gamora was brought back. Like it was, you know, appropriately devastating when she died in Infinity War. But um, there's a there's a role there's a role for her. There's a there's a void that's there if she's not part of that group, right? Um, and so I, I was glad that she was able to have a part uh, in this third movie. And and even though this version of Gamora was demonstrably different than the original version that we saw and got to know, I still enjoyed the heck out of her character. So I thought Zoe Saldana like crushed it. She personified somehow, and this is a challenge for any actor actress that's tasked with, okay, uh, so it, it, you know, you're this different version of your character. Um, so do the same, but also different. It's hard. But I also think they like it that way because it Probably. keeps them from getting bored. Sure. You know, you look at Chris Hemsworth before, yep. he's like, I don't want to do what we did the first two times, so right, let's right. go make Ragnarok, and yep. it worked really, really well. Yeah. So I think... I just think I, it's easier said than done. Right. Oh, for sure. it's difficult to pull off. For I totally sure. agree with what you're saying. Enjoyable from an actor-actress perspective? Yeah, I, I would agree. I just think it's difficult to do in a convincing yeah. way. So I, I was impressed with her with her performance. I thought that was really solid. All right. Rocket. Oh, my so here's your rocket origin story that you never knew you wanted or needed. Best character development in, in the series. It's incredible. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. I I am not and have never been, and, and I'll fully acknowledge, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to go a little bit broad here, right? You've seen Friends. Mm-hmm. You remember the episode in Friends where uh, Chandler pretends to be allergic to dogs. He's not actually allergic to dogs, but he pretends to be allergic to dogs because he actually does not like dogs. And so by pretending to be allergic to dogs and telling all of his friends, hey, I'm allergic, he guarantees that his friends will keep dogs away from him. Okay? Well, as it turns out, one of his friends has been hiding a dog where Chandler has been living for days. And so the friends realize, well, Chandler, maybe you're not actually allergic but they haven't quite connected the dots yet. And Chandler feels bad, but he's been lying to his friends. And so he, st- he starts to confess that, you know what? I don't like dogs. Before he can get the words out, Joey, his best friend, he tells, don't do it. <laughs> like, don't tell that you don't like dogs. Because Joey knows this about Chandler, and he knows that as soon as Chandler reveals this about himself... That everybody else is going to just be disgusted with him. Like, how could you not like dogs? And that's exactly what happens. Chandler's like, no, Joey, I got to tell the truth. Guys, I don't like dogs. And everybody in the room is just appalled. Like, how could you? You monster. Joey goes, told you. So, I am now going to say that I've never been much of an animal person. Okay? Um, I wouldn't say I dislike animals or pets. There have been pets in my life, but I also don't, in this stage of my life where I don't have a pet, I have no desire to have a pet. So my son really wants a cat. Okay. Hard pass, hard pass. 
At least he picked the low maintenance of the two. And still, hard pass. <laughs> he has he has asked about it not on a daily basis, but close to daily. In my office, I have a big whiteboard, right, that's magnetic. He drew a giant picture of a cat on a piece of paper and stuck it to my whiteboard with a magnet as a message to me of, hey, let's get a cat. So he's pushing hard for this. Got to give the kid credit. Credit for the effort. Also wasted effort because I'm standing firm. Heck no, we're not getting a cat. Okay, what the heck does this all have to do with Rocket Raccoon? I am not an animal person, okay? And yet I felt sincere emotion at watching this story about a make-believe raccoon and his origin. Like when, when they showed young, I don't know if you want to call him Baby Rocket, but shortly after he had his initial operation and he's got you know blood coming out of the cuts in his head and the first word that he says is hurt, it's like that's devastating. Like that That is tugging right now at my emotions. It's like, oh, it just makes me want to do all of the, all of like the fatherly things when one of my kids gets hurt of punch whoever hurt them, which it, it never is actually anyone. So I can't actually hit anything. Uh, I'd love to kick a three-year-old, but besides the point, <laughs> right? attack something and yet hold them, bandage them and yet yell at something. It's just a weird set of emotions. But this movie did that. With a freaking raccoon. It's all CGI. It's all make-believe. And yet it was so sincere. It was so real. Incredible. Incredible. I didn't know I wanted to see Rocket's origin story. I, I wouldn't have told you that. But now that I've seen it, I want to re-watch that origin story. Because what is a novel tale? Incredible. Well, and then... Yeah, so his his character arc throughout the Guardians movies is phenomenal because of that backstory. Right. Because you look at the first one, he doesn't want to open up to anybody. Yep. You look at the second one, he has a problem with losing people. Mm-hmm. Infinity War, he loses everyone. He's the only one in the Guardians that mm-hmm. lives. And I then he deals with that again. So he loses right. everybody. And then he has that whole thing where he goes with Thor he's like, you think you're the only one who lost anybody? Mm-hmm. I lost my entire family as well. So what, what are you, you're not the only one that should be crying right now. And then to have him come back in this and realize this is why the way he is, yeah. is the way that he is. And he's finally like grown past this point of like, oh, he's accepted that, you know. Mm. Yeah. He can actually have more people in his life. Yeah. And. And what makes it most impressive is he has had this loss, experienced that loss. And I think this is true. And this is probably part of what makes the Guardians as a group such a worthwhile group of characters to be around. All of these characters, Rocket probably to the most extreme, all of these characters have lost so much and so many people that have mattered to them. And yet... They don't stop opening themselves up. That's extraordinary. And that is very relatable. That's very human because everyone has been hurt by someone else before. And what you have to realize in life is that it is a choice because you're, get, you're just going to get hurt. Like you can't, 
You can't not get hurt. That's going to happen. So it becomes a choice of, and, and there's a little bit of it that's kind of insane if you think about it too much, but you have to willingly put yourself in those situations where you could get hurt, um, not because you want to, because that's just part of how you get to the reward of the deep relationships that do make life so meaningful, right? Those genuine connections with with others that, that give life meaning. Because the alternative is uh, somehow worse, right? Isolation. And that that's devastating in, in a more, in an even more uh, complete way. And so that is, but Rocket's story is that to an absolute, to the absolute max, right? And this makes me want to go back and rewatch the first and second Guardians movies just to observe his character right. more. And this is part of what's so unique is we don't usually don't get origin stories like this, right? Where it's the third movie down the line and now we're backtracking to the character's past. That's, I cannot think of a comp actually. Well, it's weird because I was watching this movie and I was like, I want more Rocket. Mm. Because yep. Yep. while he's on his, the coma bed, yep. yes, we get flashbacks of him, but we're still not getting those interactions, yep. which I thought that was like a weird thing. It's like, this movie is all about Rocket, and yet I want more Rocket. <laughs> but it's, so, it's a good observation, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You get actually a little screen time with, you know, full grown, fully developed who we know. Right. Yeah. And I thought they I thought they struck a really good balance of it, it can be tricky doing flashbacks and doing them uh, effectively without it interrupting the flow of the movie. I think Batman Begins does that masterfully. There's a lot of flashbacks in that origin story. Um, but I, I thought this movie is as good of an example of how you do flashbacks well. It was every time it was a cutaway from the present to Rocket's past. It was somehow the flow was just uninterrupted and in fact heightened it was incredible really incredible anything else you want to say on the rocket topic oh yeah it's, it's good yeah incredible okay Groot Groot hooked out a bit the way Groot got through uh, uh, the tree minions roids. yeah I know Groot got tree roids yeah he did get tree roids and it was awesome he was snorting that fertilizer dude huge Huge in this movie. It was awesome. It's a, it was such a nice change of pace, though. Yeah, I, I like him better I than agree. Groot from Groot Volume One. Yeah. I like this version yeah. of Groot the best. Okay. And I do too. And by the way, I do too. by the way, yep. Groot at the end of the movie, going for the King Groot vibes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, dude, he looks wise. And swole. Mm-hmm. It's like heck of a combo. It's like Gandalf mixed right. with the Hulk, <laughs> but a tree. The wizard and the Hulk. Yes, one of those. Gives you Groot. One of those tree people from Lord of the Rings, but swole. Right. Swole and not slow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he was awesome. His character progression is really simple. You just watch it him is. grow up. It is, but. Phenomenal. Yeah. Good to get away from the sapling uh, that he was Thank in volume God. two. Um, good to see him grow beyond the the teen angst of the you know the end game 
It was funny, but I'm glad we didn't get in a whole nother movie with it. Yeah, that that, that wears on a person uh, fairly quickly. And I really enjoyed, yeah, there's just not a lot of character development that takes place with Groot, so we won't spend a whole lot of time on it from that point of view. But the dude did level up from a, oh my, you can do this. Like, he's housing all of the the guns, and then cuts loose with at least six arms. It was badass. It was incredible. And he's shielding Star-Lord. And yet, that, that that takes some cognitive awareness to be able to shield your partner and yet wield six different firearms at once. Very big respect. You know, that. And the tree wings. Yeah, sweet. Didn't see that coming, Mm-mm. but I bought into it. Right. Well, it's so refreshing because, you know, you always get one guy that's the muscle mm-hmm. in these teams, right? You have the Hulk, who's just a big guy. Yep. Right. You get the thing who's just a big guy, but he rocks instead of green. Right. So it's nice to get a, another big guy. But instead of just being made of wood, he can do a lot of different things. Yeah. He's got some versatility there. Right. Yeah. So refreshing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great creativity. So Rue was a lot of fun to watch. That's for sure. All right. Brax, last member of the original. Guardians crew, not the last character we'll discuss, but last member of the original from Volume 1, Guardians crew, Drax the Destroyer. Um, Listen, he's my favorite Guardian, and he has been my favorite for different reasons. I loved, in Volume 1, I loved how anytime they were in a fight, he was laughing. I thought that was just freaking hilarious, or in a fight, or crashing. I remember... Beginning or very early in volume two, where uh, they're crash landing and Drax is holding on for dear life to the tether that is outside the ship and just getting smoked like tree by tree by tree and yet laughs when it's all over. Like, says that was awesome. What a what just a goof of a character. So it just it just it tickles me in the right way. But he for and for the most part, for him too, he was pretty steady as a character also true like yep. he he was the most yep. consistent i feel like very i mean so. he did go for like this very like i think he loosened up a little bit mm-hmm. as as the movies went on because yep. he was pretty yep. he's pretty tense pretty wound tightly, up highly wound yes tightly wound and the, it, right yeah. but i think you see him fully like unwind it's a good point but yeah yeah, but there wasn't like demonstrative, wow, Drax was here at this stage with his character and now he's here until how about volume three with Drax? That was uh it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. The line, my favorite line personally from this movie, the one that I will cherish the most is when Nebula is telling him, I believe it's Nebula, I think I'm remembering that right. It was either Mantis or Nebula, but I do think it was Nebula, uh, is telling Drax, like, you weren't made to be a destroyer. You were made to be a dad. Like, that, that line crushed me. That, that just hit me right, right in the heart piece. Right in the heart piece. Um, but before that line, right, you see Drax interacting with such tenderness for the children that the Guardians encounter that have been enslaved by the High Evolutionary and how he's able to bring ease to them, right? This huge, hulking, like, marked-up beast of a dude is the one that is able to relate to and comfort the children most effectively. That was really cool. 
that was really cool. So it gave him a layer that was beyond just straight up butt kicker. And yet, boy, did he kick some butt in this movie. Did he toss some fools around? It was so much fun to watch. It was like Drax was unleashed. It was great. It was pretty. He just went to town. Went to town. It's it's always fun to watch a guy go in and his weapons are two knives because you're just like this guy likes to be up in your face yep. when he kills you. Yep. So yes. Yep. He's rumbling. Him and Mantis, where they do the thing where the guard falls in love with him. Yep. He's like, yep. why do you do this every time? time? <laughs> <laughs> well, and- and speaking of Mantis, we'll get into her as well. Like, what an unexpected, effective, like, duo, right? They've had a rapport, those two characters, Drax and Mantis, ever since the character of Mantis was introduced in Volume 2. Speaking of characters that I never thought I'd care to, like, come around, Mantis. But I've enjoyed her. Yeah. I've enjoyed her a lot. Her, her powers are hard to get used to. Sure. Because sure. they're, like... She's that character, and this is a... This is also a key in just about every group. There's that character that if you think about it, you're like, there's no way you should be surviving this. <laughs> like Hawkeye in the Avengers. It's like, right. you sh- okay, it's cool that you hung around for one movie, but how are you not dead somewhere early in the second you, movie? You just can't you miss. You can't keep up. That's, That's your thing. thing. You right. can't miss. Right. Her thing is, I, I can make you happy. I can make you sad. Confused. I can, right. Right. It's like, Put what? You to sleep. What? Right, but the hand-to-hand skill, it's like, well, she, they let her do a little bit of that, but it, it that's the hardest to believe. Mantis can effectively punch or kick somebody and right. have it be, you know, genuinely impactful. Uh, but I enjoy her character and the dichotomy that she has with Drax and probably where, where her character gained the most value in my eyes in this Volume 3 was how necessary she was to help these other characters develop, right? She helped pull Drax out of his just knucklehead disruptiveness. She helped him do more than that. She helped Nebula in a very similar way where she's calling Nebula out. Like, hey, you're a jerk. I'm being a jerk. Nebula's been allowed to be the jerk, probably because everybody's kind of felt sorry for her. Like, yeah, well, your dad, Thanos, was he was crappy, so we understand you're just... Bitter and angry always. And Mantis was like, no, do better. Do better. And as a result of that, Nebula was able to do that. That's so Mantis had a very like a genuine necessary role. Like there was some utility to her character. And that was pretty impressive, I thought. And speaking of Nebula, I mean, I thought she was dead a long time ago, or is going to be dead a right. long time ago. Oh, yeah, she come close to dying multiple times. Talk about the most character progression, probably, outside of Rocket. She went from being a bad guy to being kind of a nuisance to... Part of the team. Right. Well, but then her multiversal bad guy. Right. Fighting herself and then fighting her dad and fighting herself uh-huh. and then realizing i will no longer be what i was it was literally a wow. physical representation wow. of beating your old self and changing the better i don't even know the common phrase is okay a double agent we know what you would call her like is she a freaking sectuplet agent 
right? I mean, the number of times she has been or hasn't been, and then it's been the original Nebula and then the multiverse version of Nebula from the past. I, wow. I mean, how about a character that I never would have guessed would have had that much significance, right? Right. And it has always actually worked. Like in Infinity War, it worked. In Endgame, it worked. In Volume 3, it works again. Craziness. Real craziness. I did like, this has nothing to do with her character progression, but I did like the level up she got with the arm. That was pretty sick. That was pretty sweet. That was nice. Well, I think the most interesting thing about this movie is her and Gamora switched uh, places. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Like, she was the the good sister, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. calling the other one out for yeah. being dumb. So it's kind of interesting yeah. to see that change. Yeah. So, yeah. And she yeah. was like a key part of the team. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, they don't win. They don't succeed without her as part of the crew. No doubt about that. Cool. All right. So a little bit of a two, two-parter here. Last character we're going to touch on that's a part of the Guardians. Craglin, uh, it would be, you know, insincere to not also mention, of course, Yondu. Because Yondu was the bigger part of the group. Not much part of the group, but adjacent in Volume 1. Became part of the group in Volume 2. Died, saving our guy, Star Lord. Craglin takes on the uh, the arrow mantle. Kind of literally the um, I don't have a whole lot to say about these characters. Yandu, if we were talking volume two, would certainly have a bigger, you know, right. bigger place. Excuse me, in this movie. Um, but I did like that we saw Craglin see Yandu. I thought that was a nice little wink nod to that you character. That. that was the only thing we got right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we got one. We got one thing right. One thing right. Yep. Yep. No, I. To be honest, I thought Cosmo was more interesting than Craglin. Yeah. yeah. At least Craglin, we weren't forced to you know, dude, have a lot of Craglin. Psychic dog? Mm-hmm. Ten times more than dude with needle. <laughs> so. He no. pulls needle out of his haystack. Right. No one cares. No. I, I liked Yondu as a character. Yeah. It was sad to see him die. Yeah. But after that, I'm like, and this has nothing to do with Craig. Like, Nothing against Craglin, but at the same time, it's like if not a very compelling character. I mean, if you weren't related yeah. to the director, I don't know if your role would be as significant as it is. Go back to being useful. Again, not a knock on Sean Gunn as an actor. It's more of a that character's importance in general. Yeah, it just kind of felt it kind of felt shoved. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So sorry, Craglin, but it is what it is. So that's that's the original group of Guardians. Now, a couple other characters we need to hit on just a little more broadly. Uh, Adam Warlock was in this movie? Adam Warlock was in this movie. Dude, I bet Adam oh. Warlock hands, and I think I said this last pod, mm-hmm. I'm going to be pissed. Yep. Because that's not at all the Adam Warlock that should be on screen by <laughs> any means. I mean... You can tell that there's going to be intelligence there, but like just be by the way he speaks. But in the future, in the distant future, right? It's weird to think like he's technically still like an infant. He still hasn't fully like. I love that. Grown. Love that. And it, it don't get me wrong. It worked for this movie, Mm -hmm. but this is not the Adam Warlock I would like to see go up against a Thanos. Okay. Right. 
Right. Yeah, very different iteration from what you'd get in the comics from the character. But this is one of those instances, and it, it just truly depends. It's a case by case. This is one of those instances where I don't have any personal uh, expectation of what the character is, like what I would like the character to be. I know a little bit about what Adam Warlock, quote unquote, should be based on the comics. Right. But case by case, movies, okay, are their own version of these characters. And so I enjoyed this version of Adam Warlock. I thought it fit and it kept, why I enjoyed it as much as I did was he was really there as a plot device, right? Like he was there to hurt Rocket at the beginning and save Peter at the end. Two necessary things that had to happen. And then joins the Guardians. And then he joins the Guardians, right? Um, I didn't want this movie, I, I don't know how this movie becomes you know, very interesting with Adam Warlock being a more significant part than playing what he had to play. Well, so it was fascinating. They actually, you know, they tied him in very well to the high evolutionary. Right. That was, that was probably the most significant piece out of sight of the hurting of rocket. But that comes because the high evolutionary has kind of sent him on the chase um, to try and find rocket. So that, that was probably the most compelling aspect of his character is that connection to, you know, to Rocket. He is one of the high evolutionaries creations in a sense. Right. Like if he wasn't in this movie, yeah, it would have been okay. okay. It would have been fine without him. But I don't know. I feel like for me, Adam Warlock was a missed opportunity for Infinity okay. War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. Just because of his significance and tied to the Infinity right, Stones. Right, the comic, comic storylines. Right. Yep. So, and for me, it's enough, like... like He was teased in Volume 2, which was before. Oh, plenty of Infinity time. Infinity War and Endgame. So, it's just weird that this is when we get him. So, I don't know what their plan for Warlock is, if there is one. But, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it agreed. Oddly it's, timed. It's, it is odd in that respect. And... It does make you wonder, right, with as much time as there was prior to Endgame and Infinity War, if part of one of, let's say, the original drafts of that massive story incorporated Adam Warlock. Because I remember the end credits scene in Volume 2 teasing, in a very direct way, the emergence or the creation of Adam Warlock and to have it. Not ha- that was back in what 2017. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. So to have that much time pass between that end credits tease and to have the culmination or the reveal, I should say, of the character, um, that's not necessarily on brand with Marvel and with MCU, I should say. And so I really, I have a hunch that at one time. Adam Warlock was going to be a significant part of that Infinity War endgame story. And then as redrafts and redrafts take place, they go, eh, can't fit him in. We don't have a place for this guy. So, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Um, okay, speaking of, uh, hello, High Evolutionary. Whoa, what a villain. Top 5 MCU villain. No doubt. I think. There is no doubt. Yeah, that dude. By the way, one of the oldest one-liners for a villain is was the line about how he's like there is no god that's why i became him holy shit 
Yikes. And screaming at the top of the lungs while he's doing it. It was amazing. Yeah. No, he's he was one of those villains where you're supposed to hate him. Yep. You do hate him. Yep. Because I, I remember being in the theater watching this, getting genuinely pissed. I was like, I hope he dies. Yes. He's one of the villains. I'm like, I hope they you kill actually, him. Right, you actually want him to die. I want him dead. Yes. And very few villains am I like, oh, I want, like, most of them I'm like, oh, bring him back. Bring him back. This guy, right. like. Kill him. Yes. Kill him dead. Yes. He's a bastard. He's yes. dead to me. How dare you pick on this raccoon? Right. You son of a bitch. Right. But I digress. No. Don't disagree with anything you said, and that is effective villainy. Right? Extraordinarily effective. And you hate him, but you also understand him too, right? It's not just he's not just this agent of chaos. There is rationalization behind his actions behind his goal and his method. And part of you know what you and I have talked about already, you know, free pod, what was awesome to me about this movie, and perhaps the highest praise that I can give to it, is the stakes in this movie for the Guardians had nothing to do with saving the universe. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was certainly part of the case in volume one and in volume two when they're going up against Ronan, who wants to destroy or take over the whole universe, ego, same agenda, a little different way of going about it, but same deal. In this case, the universe is not at risk. Their friend, Rocket, is at risk. And because they're trying to save their friend, they encounter and have to stop this madman whose influence, for as powerful as he is, he's not trying to, you know, take over the universe he's not trying to recreate an entire universe he's just trying to and it's not necessarily small but relatively speaking it's a smaller goal if he's trying to create a perfect society so he's taking these creatures he's taking these worlds manipulating them into something that they weren't before that's it right there's no universal implications here and yet the gravity of this story the stakes i don't think have ever felt so high in a Guardians movie in particular, and in many, many MCU movies. And that is awesome. Awesome storytelling. He was a terrific villain. Terrific. Now, one thing that we did get right is his face was coming off. Oh, for sure. His face was coming off. Um, I loved the balance of how difficult of a villain that he was to defeat, and yet... The satisfaction I gained when the Guardians just took him down. He got molly whopped, dude. They all got their shots in. All of them. He got, got jumped, their hits dude. He, oh, w- he walked into the boy. wrong alley oh, and got jumped, dude. It was awesome. It was phenomenal. It was awesome. And for as much as I do want to see this movie again, I don't want to see his face off again. That was gross. Rocket did a number on it. Oh, I didn't think it was that bad. Right? I did not think it was that bad. But it's... But jumping off that point, the fight scenes in this movie, Yeah. oh my gosh. I always talk about Aquaman when it comes to fight scenes for some reason, because I remember how... That's a good comp. Because I remember how fluid those fight scenes were. That was this level. That's a really, really good comp. Taking to another level because they're not balancing three characters in a fight. Correct. They are balancing 
seven, seven eight yeah. characters yeah. that are a team, yeah. and it's fluid, yeah. and they're bouncing off of each other throughout right. the entire scene mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I totally agree. And also, the walk-in. They have one every movie. And when he goes, I'm tired of running, and they play the Beastie Boys, don't sleep, no sleep till Brooklyn in the background. Hell yeah, man. I'm like, let's go. Goosebumps right now, like recalling that scene in my mind. That was incredible blend of soundtrack to visual. That was incredible. It was awesome. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a great, great, great point on your part. So many of these, you know, we have seen our share in the time that we've been doing this pod, right? Let's just limit it to that. And we've seen our share of action movies where the action has sucked. Right. You've heard me rant, like, if you're going to be an action movie, you got to have at least good action. Like, I will forgive you if your story is thin, if your character development is met, if you can at least, because, again, it's an all an identity thing. If you're saying, hey, we're here to be an action movie, you got to have quality, original action. It can't be generic, forgettable. Oh, boy. At least three hand-to-hand fights and at least one huge explosion. It was incredible. Yeah, it was was outstanding. So many memorable, wonderful action scenes. So it's fantastic. Freaking top-notch. Okay. One other thing I want to hit on with Guardians 3. Um... The Suicide Squad was in Volume 3. Okay, here are the characters from James Gunn's directed Suicide Squad that I recognized in this movie. Okay, and I'm going to name them by their Suicide Squad names. Ratcatcher 2. Yep, I saw that afterwards. Yep. Uh, TDK, or Arms Fall Off Boy. Oh yeah, Nathan Fillion, for sure. Fillion, yep. Uh, Harcourt. I think it's Amanda Harcourt in the. She, she's one of Amanda. No, it's not Amanda Harcourt. That's not right. Harcourt is her last name. She's one of Amanda James Waller's. Yep, yes. Amanda Waller's that, uh, cronies. Now James Gunn's life wife. I recognize her. Volume right three gets shot in the leg. Like tough, tough. Uh, Weasel. Yeah, that is Weasel. Now here's one that could be really easy to miss. King Shark. And we're back. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. All good. Okay. The last member of the Suicide Squad. Yes. Very easy to miss. King Shark. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone. He's the voice of King Shark. It's true. Life Stallone. They also had the other guy from Peacemaker. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't pick up where he was at, but I only saw that from the internet. That's fine. I did not pick him up in the actual movie. That's okay. I'm not pretending to have a comprehensive list here, but these are at least the ones that I picked up on whilst watching. So I I do enjoy that when directors and various actors and actresses are uh, consistently partnered with each other. I get a kick out of that. It's a lot of fun. Christopher Nolan does that in so much of what he does. He's in love with Cillian Murphy. Yes. And rightfully so. Be rightfully so. Choice. Right. Great guy to fall for, I think. As far as we can tell. As far as we can tell. All right. Anything else, Riles, that you want to say on Guardians 3 in particular before we move on from that as a topic? Anything we haven't hit on that you want to hit on? Yes, because my topic can be saved for another day. Okay. So, yes. 
Save it then. Now, to pull the pull the lens back a little bit and go a bit broader here. James Gunn. This is his swan song. He's out of the MCU now that he has put Volume Three out there for us to partake in and enjoy, and is uh, transitioned into the DC realm. And obviously, he's been doing the DC job full time now. But this is the crew break for us common folk, as we can understand it, from James Gunn to the from the MCU into the DCU. I can't help but wonder. Five years from now, what we will think the ramifications have been from when James Gunn was temporarily let go. And it was between volumes one and two, right? Or was it after volume two that is after volume two because they didn't know if they were going to do a third one? Okay, I believe I think you're right. And I haven't taken the time to to go, you know, do a little interweaving and refreshing my memory. But Side the point, really, the fact that MCU made such a quick and misguided decision, I will be fascinated to, to see from a historical context how this plays out. Because, again, I can't emphasize this enough, this guy was given the nobodies in the MCU roster and turned them into one of the best trilogies of films and best sets of characters that we have had in the entire MCU. Now he's gone. Uh, that is uh, that's quite the quite the roster hole to fill for the MCU and you're looking for directing talent. Because clearly this guy is committed to the superhero movie genre since he's stepping into a heightened role with DC. I don't know how I feel still about whatever his role is supposed to be with DC. I, I think it's it's a different challenge, so I'm not feeling, I don't think yet, any different about how I have felt up to this point about James Gunn and his role with DC. I'm still fairly skeptical. Um, but to contradict myself, I also am probably feeling more optimistic than I have at any point coming off of that movie, because my gosh, if that's what the guy can do with the Guardians of the Galaxy, what's he going to do with the whole DC toy chest to play with? Yeah, like, am I excited about a Superman movie now? Because that's what he's going to be doing. He gets an actual Mm -hmm. player on the board. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Agreed. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think, yep, more than I, before this movie. I guess, totally. yeah, no, I totally agree. I guess I just forgot what James Gunn could do with a movie. Been a while since he sho- seen him do his thing, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I think he just showed his range in this too. Holy mm. crap! Yep. Yeah, and I think I'll need to personally remind myself to give him time because. The gravity that we felt in Guardians Volume 3, right, doesn't come without Volumes 1 and 2. It doesn't right. come without everything right. that came before. So it does take time. Um, but it's also okay and appropriate to have the expectations of, listen, when you, James, start cranking out DC films that have your, if not your hand directly involved as a writer or director, but your endorsement, um, expectations should be 
uh, not low. He needs to deliver. Whether or not he will certainly remains to be seen. But it leaves, I think, the MCU in a really challenging spot. Um, not impossible. Not saying it can't be done. But they are in a transition period where everybody that delivered great movies for them um, in that director's chair isn't a part of that crew anymore, right? James Gunn, Russo brothers. Whedon. Um, right, Joss Whedon has burned his own bridges, so good on you, bud. Uh, but yeah, the, the individuals that carried the most influence and significance in making what TV... He had, he did have a smaller run. Yeah, he had a run nonetheless. Yeah, he had his shot, took it, and I don't think he really hit it there. Uh, so they, they've got to develop new talent. Can it be done? Of course. Um, but I think they're, I think they're left searching at the moment. So fascinating to see how that develops and plays out. Anything else on that topic from you? No, okay. We're good. Well, let's keep moving. Like we said, there was a lot to talk about with Guardians 3. To kind of branch off of that topic, typically, as you faithful listeners and viewers know, we enjoy doing a JP and the Beans Top 5. We're going to fudge the rules a little bit for this round, and we're going to stretch it to a uh, a 6 rather than a 5 slot. Because with Volume 3 being released, we now have a total of six either individual characters or, in the case of the Guardians, group that have had trilogies, at least. Some have had a fourth. Looking at you, Thor. Uh, But it's a great opportunity to pull back and look at that. Now, we're not going to include the Avengers movies because that's such a broad, big, that almost includes everybody. Right. So we're going to scale it back just a little bit. But it's now an appropriate time to ask ourselves the question of, all right, which characters' movies have you enjoyed the most? So per usual, these are our personal preferences, right? This is not worth saying that you or anyone else should have as an opinion or preference. It's just what we have enjoyed the most, right? So here are your candidates, right? You've got... Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, and the Guardians of the Galaxy have all had at least three movies. Thor is the uh, lone wolf with the is out so, there. Isn't that fascinating? It is. He's the one who gets four movies. It is. And then Ant-Man I is in there. I believe Ant-Man has one movie. What's plus three? I know, right? Continues to perplex and astound me. Like... Three of these make sense. Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man. All make sense. Yeah. Other three? No. What? No. No, it absolutely does not. Guardians, Ant-Man, Thor. Daredevil doesn't have a trilogy? Correct. No. Just crazy. Truly, when you sit back and ponder that, out of all of the Marvel characters that are available, it is actually wild to think of that in that context. So we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take a little more time here, go in a little bit of a deeper dive in. Not true to form. I want us to reveal. Hey, here's our tops, uh, our top six or or the rankings that we provided for them, and then kind of go through them piece by piece. So a little less of a surprise here, but I think a fun opportunity to dialogue on why we have these folks arranged the way that we do. All right. So I'll go first. 
I'll go through my whole list and I'll have you go. I'm going to start from bottom to top. All right. For me, Thor is safely at number six. So bringing up the basement. Thank you, Thor. The only one with four movies. Yep. Quantity did not do him favors in this regard. Uh, the fifth spot, Iron Man. All right. With Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. The fourth spot, Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania. The titles get longer, as it turns out. Spider-Man. Number three, with Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. Guardians in the second slot with volumes one, two, and three. And then for me, Captain America is my number one with First Avenger, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. So there you go. Riles, let's hear yours. At number six, I too have Thor. choice. Number five, I have Ant-Man. Number four, I have Iron Man. Number three, I have Cap. Number two, I have Spidey. And at number one, I got Guardians of the Galaxy. Love it. Okay, so let's take it from our guy Thor, since we have some common ground there. He's firmly at the bottom. And that's not to say that all of his movies are bad. This is just personal preference. What have I enjoyed the most? I really enjoyed Ragnarok. It wasn't, I don't hold it in as high regard as others. Not because I hate on it. It's just not my personal, oh, I really love that movie. It's really good. It's entertaining. I thought it got too goofy but it didn't over-correct or overbalance like Thor Love and Thunder really did. So I thought it probably found as good and as enjoyable the tone as it could. But holistically, like the first Thor movie, just okay. Uh, Thor The Dark World, also just okay. But not neither of those am I ever eager to like go back and rewatch. They, for some reason, they never found their footing with Thor. And I've said this over and over again, and I will continue to do this. Yep. Yep. It should have been their Lord of the Rings. Yes. Thor should have been their Lord of the Rings. Yes. There is so much lore so and much mythology, mythology. Yes. to Thor. Yes. Where the main villain in the first one was Loki and his dad? Right. Loki's, Loki and Laufey. Lo, yep, Loki right. and Laufey. Yep. Technically. Right. But Loki better. Yep. Yep. Which Loki's great yep. as a villain. Number two, Malekith, mm-hmm. who no one cares to remember, who's supposed to be kind of just more a distress to the character. Right. Yes. Hala, they landed. Yep. Hala was the only one they landed. Yep. She came in, established dominance, and then they butchered. Oh. They butchered the butcher. So, I don't, I just don't understand it from that standpoint. I don't know how you miss that many times. You know, what they were never able to do is, to your point, and it's a good one, there was a lot, there is a lot of mythology there that they could have gained just so much, so much traction from and so much storytelling opportunities from, but they never found a foil consistently for Thor outside of Loki. Like whenever Loki and Thor weren't together or weren't at least on parallel planes, it it just didn't, it lost a lot of its luster, right? Yes, Malekith is the main villain in Thor the Dark World, but Loki has a huge part to play. Same in Ragnarok. Loki is a significant character in that movie. And then Thor Love and Thunder, Loki's not a part of it at all. And it you feel it in his absence, right? 
But here's the thing, that doesn't have to be that way. I mean, crying out loud in the comments before the God Butcher, excuse me, Gore, the God Butcher, when Thor is battling him, Loki's not part of that at all. So Loki is not a necessary piece of, hey, if Thor's going to be there, Loki must also be there. It's kind of similar to Batman where the Joker is the ultimate Batman villain, right? There are plenty of other compelling and worthwhile foes for Batman to tangle with. Thor's got a similar dichotomy with Loki. Loki's always his peak villain, but there are so many other villains, so many other adversaries that are worthwhile and geez they just never got it right and they kill them off pretty much too quickly every time maybe they need to see if peter jackson's available yeah because i do i agree i think there was a missed opportunity there so it's a bummer because chris hemsworth has done an outstanding job with the character and in the avengers movies only thing holding them up yeah yeah in the avengers movies he's been phenomenal so too bad that uh on the individual front, his movies have been uh, somewhat lacking. So let's let's do Ant Man next. You have Ant Man at five in the five slot. For me, it's four, which kind of surprises me. Um, you have him over Iron Man. I do. I, I do. Um, we just have him flip flopped. We just have him flip flopped. And for me, Ant Man, the entertainment value is just a little bit more consistent. Not once does any of or do any of the three ant-man movies reach a wow that tier of this is as good as it gets right the first ant-man movie okay it was good ant-man and the wasp also good ant-man and the wasp quantum mania king was awesome and there are other parts of the movie that i enjoyed a lot of questions but overall i enjoyed it right so there, there were there was never a movie in that ant-man trilogy that i went to you well i would agree i mean it was i th- i think they i think wasp should have been in a suit in the first one looking yeah. back yeah. i think it's great that they established ant-man in his own movie but yeah i think she just give her the suit in the first one i think yeah. but like that's another thing you look back the first movie you have yellow jacket which was kind of a play on on an actual marvel character but like in a unique different way with a Yep. their own created person to wear the yellow jacket suit. And he was an okay villain. But just no, okay. Number two, couldn't even tell you who the villain is in that right. one. Right. A ghost. Right. Ghost. But very much like very sympathetic. Soft very soft. Right. Villain. Right. The villain that's not really a villain. The fact that she's coming back to me yeah. is like, eh. Right. But then the third one, you got you Kang, which is strong, yep. and say what you want about Modok, not a bad villain either, but it was also just the Yellow Jacket guy coming back. We have to rabbit trail for just a brief moment. How bizarre is it, Riles, that the same studio that crafts these empathetic, believable extraordinarily detailed and real raccoon rabbit walrus and otter photoshop a human face stretched out onto modok because they probably do not I mean, again i thought it was hilarious but it was also bad they probably don't pay their cgi people the money that they should 
they probably don't give them enough time like they should. Yeah. And then they get rushed. The whole phase four rushed. Yeah. We can go back into how bad She-Hulk looked off the get-go. Yeah. That's their own fault. But I just had to bring that up. But on that, yeah. Ant-Man fit its vibe a better than Thor, which is just idiotic. Right. It shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All we need to say about Ant Man, Iron Man. You've got Iron Man in the four slot. I've got him in the five slot. And I don't. I do that. I don't feel great about that. I could flip up that around. So, but I mean, Iron Man one is incredible, right? right. That's again, third that tier. As good as it gets. But in your defense, Iron Man outweighs the rest of the movie. Yep. In both two and three, mm-hmm. Iron Man one. Him versus Obadiah is amazing. Yes. Him trying to craft his own suit. He was a very good villain. The turn at the end on Tony, realizing he orchestrated the whole thing. Brilliant. Great story. Absolutely brilliant. You go to two where you have Whiplash, which, again, I think was a great choice. For an actor to play him. True. But they yeah. did not do him justice in that movie for some reason. Yep. And again, Hammer? Justin Hammer. Justin Hammer yeah. was not a bad villain. And I don't know if it was the fact that they tried to shove them both in the same movie and it just didn't play well. Yeah. I think the I think Iron Man 2 also got caught, and this wasn't its fault. It got caught in the well. The Avengers movie is coming out soon, so we need to we need to do some world building, right? So we right. got to introduce Black Widow. We got to give Nick Fury some more time and remind everybody that he's there because nobody actually knows that he's there unless you stayed for the end credits scene in Iron Man One, which those didn't exist. Right. Thing, and so most people left. Right. Uh, so I think that was that was probably what held that movie as much as. As much as anything. And it has arguably the most iconic suit-up scene for Iron Man with the suitcase armor. The suitcase armor still gets talked about, and it's arguably the worst Iron Man movie. So make that make sense. Right. But the fact that he wasn't the first person to come up with the arc reactor, and it was Mm -hmm. someone that Tony's dad knew. Right. Like... Old Soviet scientist had a brilliant yeah. play there, off yeah, that more. There were good pieces in that movie. It just never quite hit a whole stride. And especially coming off of the expectations from Iron Man 1. Right. That's tough to tough to top. And I just really think I like it more when every time I rewatch it. Um I love when he calls in the, suit, the Hall of Armor. Yep. Yep. Coolest fight scene. One of yep. the coolest fight scenes yep. there are. Him hopping from one suit to another as that guy just tears him apart. Yep. Yeah, the the awkwardness with Iron Man 3 is... Whereas Iron Man 2 felt so connected, necessarily connected to the wider and growing Avengers world, Iron Man 3 felt weirdly disconnected because it ends and it's like, oh, he's retiring? He doesn't need the arc reactor anymore? So he's... He's saying he's out. So he's out. And then he's very much not out in Age of Ultron. It, it just, it was such a clunky, and the MCU didn't do this again. But that was such a, again, I feel bad for that movie because it felt like it had to, as the first, as the oldest kid, it, it had to teach his parents how to parent, right? Right. Parents go, ooh, that didn't work. Okay, well, next kids, we won't, 
we'll do that differently. And Killian, I just, I didn't care about. Yep. Correct. Like, he was just kind of there. I wish they would have played more into it. Like, you know, Cap had Hydra. It would have been cool to see Iron Man have AIM. Right. AIM would have been perfect for this movie. And it was teased about, hinted at that he worked for AIM. But that wasn't the focus. Right. So that was odd to me. Just a little bit. Yep. You know, here's really who it should have been. The villain should have been Ezekiel Stane, Obadiah's son. Because in the comics, Ezekiel Stane, that is an awesome comic to run. Iron Man, The Five Nightmares. That is where Ezekiel Stane is out to just tear, tear Tony Stark down to the studs. And he has what Killian, you know, the extremists, that is a, a big part of what Ezekiel Stane perfects. And he develops these human bombs, which is what they do in Iron Man 3. So they did it all without Ezekiel Stane. It would have been so much more impactful if instead of this, they tried to do, make his, uh, you know, make Killian an empathetic villain with his initial interaction with Tony, but it just, it just didn't quite work. Or, you know, you could have done the Mandarin and wrapped the Ten Rings up in that trilogy. Yep, yep, yep. That would have been phenomenal, but why would we do that? Because it would have also been cool to see tech versus magic. That would have been brilliantly done. There you go. But for some reason, we don't want to do a comic-accurate Mandarin, and we want to put on an actor in that movie who plays the Mandarin. And by the way, if you remember those movie trailers, I was for Iron Man 3. I'm like, oh, they're doing it. Ben Kingsley, yep. fantastic actor. I mean, obviously, he's not Mandarin at all. Still dope. <laughs> it was it was a bold swing, and it was also a really clear miss. It, it was just a... It, it didn't... It didn't, uh, it didn't land. It was one of those, yeah, okay, we get it. You explained it. It's a joke. We're not laughing. But Tony yeah. outside of the suit in that movie, fantastic. Showed he was he was just as good outside of the suit as in. Yep. So Yep. Agreed. Yep. Agreed. I, I think those three, right? The Ant Man movies, the Iron Man movies, and the Thor movies, those are a clear, okay, here's your here's your bottom half tier. Now, the upper crust, this is where it gets. This is good, right? And I can certainly see rearranging you know my order sometime down the road um but let's you know we've spent a lot of time on guardians let's spend a little more time on guardians okay just just to put put a bow on it for the guardians what an incredible set of movies riles i probably watched the first guardians movie three or four times in theaters because i was just so enthralled i couldn't believe what i was seeing like it was a space odyssey epic with characters i'd never heard of before and i was just delighted to be amongst them in a weird way it was probably my generation star wars yeah you know i don't disagree but like i mean and for the most part they put out bangers for villains like okay ronin was underutilized but he was a good villain not he was effective not terrible but not the best yeah but you also had Multiple antagonists in yep. that one movie. You had right. Nebula was very main. antagonistic. 
Thanos' presence was there, and you also had Yondu going after Star-Lord in that one. Right. Pretty pretty good if you think about it from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. Number two, Ego, and the effect he had on Peter, brilliant, and then we just talked about the High Evolutionary being a top five MCU villain all time currently at this point in Juncture, and the effect he had on Rocket, Mm -hmm. like... Not only it, it, it's impressive to have good villains, but ones that affect the heroes to that extent yeah. is something to say. Yeah, yeah, that's a mark of a good villain, right? Right, or an effective villain, I should say. And the character growth with them as as a unit, as individuals, well done. Yeah, yeah, well done. No, totally agree. I want to end on Spider Man, so let's hit Captain America next. Agreed. Um. Winter Soldier is maybe my favorite individual MCU movie. Oh yeah, arguably. It's it's so it's much it's so much fun and, and so easy to go back and rewatch uh as many times as a person could possibly want to. Um First Avenger, I was lukewarm on when it first came out. I gained a greater appreciation for it once Cap's arc wrapped up with Endgame. Uh, now I go back and rewatch First Avenger and the seeds that are being planted and cultivated and like, growing from that first movie, whether it be with Bucky um, or with you know, Caps, just I'm you know I'm out of man out of time scenario uh, or his romance with Sharon. It's great. It's gr- it's more enjoyable to watch that movie in light of what came after it. Standalone, I, I don't think it's terrific it's good it's also effective uh and then civil war is terrific i i love most the dynamic with cap and bucky in civil war civil war gets pretty big right with all the characters in it but i really really enjoy uh what stays at the heart of that movie which is the cap and bucky relationship see and i mean first of all red skull first one fantastic mm, yeah. villain that you want to die right up there with high evolutionary yes. right Number two, Winter Soldier. Again, we talk about relationships with the hero. That's up there. Watching your best friend become a villain that he doesn't even know who he is anymore. That's terrifying. Civil War is where it gets interesting for me because I almost count that as a Captain America. It's hard. No, it's hard to. It's more an Avengers movie than a Captain America movie. Right. But then if you call it an Avengers movie, you probably have people say... This is more of a Captain America movie than an Avengers movie. So it's, right. it's kind of a branding problem. It's like no matter what you designate it as, it's, it's close to something else. But it's like, it almost feels like Cap got robbed of that I third. Like, I, w- I wouldn't have minded it being more focused on him in that movie. Like, if they would have just labeled it Civil War and then focused it on everybody involved. I mean, they that's kind of what they did already, but... That, I no, think that's I, I know why where you're coming from. I think that's why I put it at three. But Zemo, fantastic. It was. Like Cap, Cap's trilogy hit yeah. every villain. Yeah. And I think First Avenger is underrated as well. Yeah. Because, I mean, the whole, I mean, that whole point of that movie is it's it doesn't take a good soldier, it's a good man. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It sets up the, really the soul of the, of the MCU. For sure. Yeah, good thanks. All right. Spider-Man. What a great trilogy. And I didn't see that coming. It really is. It really is. It, it, it's great. 
And, and it's so unique because we don't, it's almost an inverted origin, right? Where we start with. It is an inverted origin. The character, it's, right, it, who is, you know, he's in existence, he's been around, and he almost, it's almost this inversion where you get his origin. He wasn't fully Spider-Man him. yet. Weirdly, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet he was, and yet he was, he had more resources. Right. With the first, with Homecoming, uh, coming on the heels of Civil War, and then No Way, or sorry, Far From Home, uh, after Tony's passing and Tony trying to, you know, give Peter the mantle of the smart tech, and then to have No Way Home bring it back to the, well, how, how about an Aunt May, you know, sacrifice? And we don't see anything of Uncle Ben that the Aunt May sacrifice, the absolute delight that I still have to close my eyes and go, yes, it was real, of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's version of Spider-Man coming into the fold. In- incredible. And to be like his Uncle Ben. Right. Essentially, yeah. they kind of, well, I mean, no, Aunt May, not wrong. Aunt May is the Uncle Ben yep. in this in this version of Spider-Man. Yeah, but, but they, they take they take part of that role as well. The mentor, role, yes, no question, no question. And where we end that trilogy to have Spider-Man back at his roots, where he doesn't have the technology, he doesn't have the resources, he doesn't have friends, he's isolated, and that is that is such a core part of. Spider-Man's character from the comics is the isolation that comes with accepting the mantle of the hero. Um, that's reality for most heroes that aren't named Tony Stark. Right. Um, it's it was incredible character development, and I won't argue with a single person, including you, that goes, "No, that's that's the best," or "That's my favorite." That, it's a great choice. Well, it's a great choice. It's a worth. It's a worthy choice. You put that on that. In that spot, and I go, yeah, that's a great choice. But and even with it, like, because you can make the argument that it didn't really feel like Spider-Man until No Way Home. Mm. But if you think about it, they really leaned into his villains yep. and nailed it every time. I agree. Michael Keaton's Vulture, phenomenal, and they didn't kill him. Like Jake, like Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, what a douche. And it landed well. It was great. And he played that so well. I totally agree. The CGI stuff, the robots. Yeah. Masterful. It was great. And it made sense because you see that. And from the comic standpoint, you're like, well, how does he do all the illusions yep. right. and stuff in this situation? Right. For him to bring it to this scale, impressive. And then No Way Home. Giving us Doc Ock again with Alfred Molina. Willem, still can't believe that. Willem Dafoe coming back and being like, you thought Alfred Molina was the best villain in the Raimi trilogy? Let me remind you who I am. And comes in and tears it up. It was phenomenal. Electro, Sandman, Lizard. I'm like, it's good to see him, but like, I'm not like. They weren't, fortunately, it wasn't forced, right? Where we had to get a lot of them. They were there right. for enough. You weren't at watching the the Statue of Liberty fight, wait, waiting for Sandman and, and uh, 
Kobe, go at it. You were waiting to figure out when Willem Dafoe was going to decide to make his appearance in that in that scene. It was phenomenal. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. No, totally agree. An outstanding trilogy. Um, and I think what's what's enjoyable is as as the MCU grows. Right, there are growing pains taking place now, but. To bring this pod episode to a close, to bring it back to what we started with, with Guardians 3, there's there's still hope, right? There are still going to be some really good movies that we're going to see out of the MCU. And I think realistically speaking, there's also going to continue to be some myths that come out. Because um, I, I think the, the box has been opened and cannot be shut in terms of the sheer quantity that right. we're going to get. And when you're churning out that much quantity... It just can't be, they can't be killers every time, right? But I do think that there, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that there is course correcting that reason will continue to take place with the MCU of not rushing, of slowing down, of reminding themselves of the value of the quality over the quantity. Because listen, us fans, we're here. And so if a movie has to get delayed for it to be its best version of itself. I'm going to complain about it getting delayed because I'm an impatient person, but the reality is it's actually not going to matter. I'm going to enjoy more the quality and I'm going to forget that it was ever delayed in the first place. Right? Right. Well, and I look back at it now. I look at phase four almost as like, like a test phase. Very much so. Because if you think about the first three phases, they had multiple characters that they could rely on for a franchise. Yep. They had your Guardians, you had Iron Man, you had Captain America. You had Guardians. You had Thor, I guess. Yeah. But like and yep, Guardians is a fine example. Mm-hmm. And then Spider-Man, but after that you're like where do we go? Because they don't know who to go with next because let's say for some stupid reason Sony doesn't re up a deal with Disney. Sure. They don't have their Mickey Mouse anymore. So now they have to find their new Iron Man, their new Captain America, their new Thor. Who's that going to be? Because we still don't know. Shang-Chi hit, but can you get a trilogy out of Shang-Chi that's interesting enough to bring us back? Because look, I'm not hyped for Shang-Chi 2. I'm going to go watch it. It's the same with the Marvels. Captain Marvel, second one's coming out. I'm not like, sweet, Captain Marvel 2 out in theaters soon. Yeah. I know Spider-Man's going to be there. Right. He has to be there. I'm going to be super excited to see Spidey again in theaters. That's my guy. Yep. They need to find their other two to three. Yep. Kind of those rocks. Right. Those foundational pieces. And we can finish it here, but I think it'll be Fantastic Four. I think it has to be Fantastic Four. I think a lot is riding on that franchise. It feels that way right now, right. doesn't it? I think Fantastic Four has to hit. Yeah. So I think you have Spider-Man. I think you have Marvel's first family. Yep. You got to get the X-Men going soon. I'm not hitting the emergency button yet, but I would be in panic mode because there is a lot of potential in the in the X-Men that you're not hitting right now that you can totally hit. And, and it's... It's there, right? The rights issues are resolved. They're all yours. So why not? Deadpool 3 is going to hit it. And it's going to blow it up. And they're going to have to do something with it. And if they don't at least put Ryan Reynolds in more things with Deadpool, missed opportunities. 
Yeah. You know, you know so that, that's perhaps there's there's reasons to be optimistic. There's reasons to be pessimistic. I think the reason for the greatest reason for pessimism is you've had an entire phase, right? And you're coming out of that phase, phase four into phase five. Have you left yourself with anything? Like, have you established anything really solid that you can build off of? I don't think it's a firm yes. I think there's small bits and pieces, but there is a lot of assembling that needs to take place. So, and it can happen. The characters are still out there. Um, they're still available, right? They haven't killed off right. a bunch of characters. There's potential, but like, I mean, even Doctor Strange. I feel like that's a missed opportunity right there too. Why is why are you not announcing a third one already? Correct. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. I think that to try and end on a positive on a positive note, what this reminds me of is my gosh, there's a lot of great stories within this massive story. A lot of great chapters within this massive story to watch and enjoy. And I'm not going to regret it if the MCU kind of burns from here. That'd be a bummer. But I have been so blessed by so many of these stories, by watching them, discussing them with you and with others that, man, I'll, I'll keep rewatching and having those conversations. So there's a lot of great, a lot of great content there. Um, it'll just case, be fascinating to see what happens in the, in the months and years to come. Worst case scenario, you take five years off and yeah, hard reboot. Comics, man. <laughs> right. So. No question. All right, man. I think that's what we got. That's great. All right. Well, if you like that content, make sure you follow us on TikTok at Magic Beans Productions. Follow us on YouTube, JP and the Beans Talk. Uh, we're everywhere. You're welcome. In the podcast world. Uh, if you like listening to me talk and you want to hear me go general, go check out Spill the Beans. Yes. Make sure you type in my name because apparently there are 1,800 podcasts with the name Spill the Beans. Unacceptable. So, Right. All inferior. Right. So make sure you check that out. Um, I think that's it. On that note, Godspeed. Love it.